We're in the middle of this series called Broken, and I, I got to tell you, I, I wrestled with how to approach this message because it's a topic that many deem sensitive, it's biblical, but I look at the state of our world, the state of the church, the state of the culture, and it's so relevant, and it's a problem, and it's something that we need to talk about. So before I go any further, I'm going to bring this disclaimer to this message. This is an equal opportunity for each and every one of you to be offended today. And if you have already been walking in the spirit of offense today, I'm going to give you 15 seconds or more that you can walk out if you need to. If you need to just save yourself right now. Because something I felt that we need to talk about is the challenges that we're facing today is, in our culture especially, is many people broken by sex. And so again, this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about sex. Everyone understand. So nod your head. Okay? You have an opportunity right now to walk out. If you don't take that opportunity and you come up to me afterwards and you let me have it, I'll say this was a biblical message. I will fight you on this understand that that's where I'm coming from, okay? Everyone agree? Okay. You know, I, I'm so glad that I was raised in a home that stressed saving yourself for marriage and the benefits of it. And instructing abstinence today almost feels like a foreign concept. It's, it's, it's so rare, yet what I see, the benefits outweigh any stigma the world might attach to it. And what, what I think is the most prevalent thing in our culture and the reason that it, it is just, it, 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 that, that seems like an absent word is abstinence is because we have a lust problem, amen? We have a huge lust problem. There, there's a website called Fight the New Drug. And Fight the New Drug, it's, it's not a Christian organization at its base, but Fight the New Drug is, is out there doing a good work. And what they do is they report the percentages of young people consuming porn. And I remember that early on, the numbers that were touted, the numbers that were touted was about 70 to 75% of young men look at porn and about 30% of women. But you know, we have this amazing thing called the internet, and there are websites that can actually track this now. They can track the numbers. And according to research done by Amazon Mechanical Turk Data Collection, the usage they reported a young, amongst young males was between 91 to 99%, where the range for women widened, but was between 60 to 92%. In fact, in this time, in the, in the advent of the internet, the value of the porn industry has exceeded the value of the bottled water industry. They estimate somewhere between 9 to 15 billion in revenue every year. And that's just here in the United States. And the accessibility is, is greater than it's ever been. And our understanding of what healthy sexual relationships are has brought more confusion to young people than ever before. Young men are experiencing sexual dysfunction at greater numbers because of what is taking place in the bedroom is not meeting that false reality of what they see on screen. 
Young women are stepping out on relationships as well because the satisfaction that is being portrayed on screen or in novels is not happening in their lives. I think about the impact that pornography has on a person and how it can change their perspective. And I remember the first time I saw nudity. And in fact, I couldn't have been older than five. I, 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 was, I was younger than that. Do you remember back in the day where you, when you got cable, it was the cable box that had the push buttons? And if you mashed the buttons just right, I, Kelton just, I lost him. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about in push button cable boxes. But if, if yeah, if you, if you pressed it just right, you could get scrambled HBO. Do you guys remember that? If you pressed it just right, you could get scrambled HBO. And I can describe the first nude scene I ever saw because of scrambled HBO. And I think what that does is that teaches us that it has this effect. It not only leaves an imprint on our mind, but it affects our heart. Amen? And then those things, what happen is we begin to lose a godly perspective on sex and then we become broken by it. Is everyone hearing me here? Is everyone uncomfortable? Cool. And I, I, I would like to say something. I was raised in a time in the church where it was taboo to discuss things like sex. To discuss these things in the church, there was a stigma attached to it, like it was some dirty thing that we can't talk about, like Scripture doesn't talk about it. And hello, if you read the Bible, Scripture talks about it all over. You can't ignore it. And we as the church cannot afford to do that in such a critical time. We cannot afford to ignore it. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to read of Solomon. He is, he is taking this role as a father, and he's giving advice to his son. And so what I want to do is as we're looking at the role of the father talking to his son, I don't want us to approach this as a battle of the sexes issue, okay? He's advising his son about an immoral woman, and I want us to view it as a child being spoken to by their father, advising us against immoral relationships. Does everyone understand that? Okay. So as I go through this passage, I'm also going to tell you I debated leaving one or several verses out. And as I wrestled through it, as I worked through it, I decided I'm not going to leave any of these verses out. It's in Scripture for a reason, okay? So, again, that's another disclaimer. But we're going to read Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to start just verses 1 through 6. And what we're going to see here is Solomon is giving warnings of this unbridled lust. And so we're going to read Proverbs 5 starting at verse 1 says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Everyone say, pay attention. attention. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. 
For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave, for she cares nothing about the path of life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. Let's list this immoral woman as sexual temptation. Let's just call it sexual temptation, okay? And so I believe that whether you are a man or a woman, God, what he is doing today is he is offering us wisdom to stay away from sources of sexual temptation. Everywhere we turn, it's readily available. In fact, I I even think in our culture, it's paraded around to bring fulfillment in your life. And we're sold that you haven't made it unless you are a sexual person, right? That's what our culture is trying to teach us. It's portrayed in magazines, movies, television, fashion, social media. Everywhere you turn, this is what is being portrayed, And because of its prevalence, culture thinks if you avoid it, well, there must be something wrong with you. And somehow you come to the church and and you're told to avoid it, and you're like, Pastor, it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, he says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now I hear that word run, and what is Paul telling you to do? Run. He's telling you to actually flee, to leave as quickly as possible from any situation. And we know that I have referenced uh, the, the story of Joseph and where Joseph, he was caught in a position where, where uh, the, the wife of his master was trying to sleep with him. And what did he do? He ran out of that room even though she snatched his clothes and he had to run out of that room naked. He did it by any means necessary to get out of that situation. Now here's the problem we're in, and this is especially what's being taught in schools, is that society is saying that giving into these desires is natural, right? That's what they're saying. But people are just born with this natural desires, and you might as well live it out. Well, I want you to think about that for a second. If we're just born with natural desires and we're just living them out, well, Jeffrey Dahmer was born with a desire to eat people, right? I mean, seriously, let's think about this for a second. So we can't just excuse natural desires and say, well, that's natural. We might as well live it out. That's the wrong way to think about this. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. Church, we need to be instructed from a source greater than ourselves to be guided on the right path. We have to be. And Jesus, he gives very strong warnings against sexual sin, and he encourages us to go to great lengths to avoid it. I want you to listen to this, and I'm going to leave part of this out. We're going to pick that up a little bit later. Listen to what Matthew 20 
5, 27 through 29 says. Matthew 5, 27 through 29. It says, you have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. He says then, he goes a little bit further in verse 30. He says, and if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Now imagine hearing this and you're saying, okay, Jesus, you speak in metaphors often. Please tell me that you're speaking in a metaphor right now. I don't literally have to gouge out my eye. I don't literally have to cut off my arm. But I think Jesus is actually giving a warning that it is worth going to that length. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Because it seems drastic just to avoid sexual sin. And I can only imagine, I can only imagine sitting in this audience when I was a teenager, hearing this message, and eye rolls would ensue because I thought I knew better. It's amazing when you grow older what perspective gives you and how it changes you. Because I would sit there and think, why be warned about something that is presented often as good, right? Here it is, the church is taking these odd stances on these things, and yet the rest of the world is saying, no, it's good, you should experience that. You know, I got married at the age of 19, and I can't tell you how many people instructed us, well, we should live together for a while, try it out, try everything out before we make the decision to actually get married, But church, I believe God is guiding us to set boundaries in our lives. And in this room, I don't care if you're sitting here going, Pastor, I'm single, I'm widowed, I'm a widower, whatever it is. You might say, "This, this, this doesn't speak to me at all. No, 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 no. Look at the fight around us. Look at the fight around us. We need to take stances in our lives and we need to be able to instruct and teach people, not condemn people. Are you hearing me? Not condemn people, but by the grace of God, bring conviction into people's lives so that they can be of a repentant heart and learn the right way to go. I don't want anyone in this room to feel condemnation today. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you feel the conviction to repent and move on, but know that this is not a referendum on your past. This is about projecting you onto a right path for the future. Does everyone understand that as well? I think it's so important for us to be on the right page about this. Because I'm going to say it again, God is guiding us to set these boundaries in our lives. And the temptation for us to live outside of those boundaries of sex always looks better than it actually is. It always looks better. It always looks inviting. And Solomon says, it may taste sweet like honey. Let's bring it into modern terms, right? It might taste as good as ice cream. But it's like arsenic. And folks, seriously, think about this. We know ice cream tastes good, amen? Ice cream tastes amazing. But eating that nightly also helped me gain an unhealthy amount of weight, right? But that temptation, what it does is it creates an illusion and then it tries to persuade us that illusion is real. 
Maybe it's the plot in a romance novel. And here's the thing. I, I, I really want to hit this. Let's not pretend pornography is just an image or a movie to be viewed. But reading those novels and what it stirs in your heart is damaging to your view of a healthy relationship. Okay? Or it could be, it could, guys, I want you to hear me out. Or it could be that seductive image that has been ran through so many filters that person doesn't really exist, but we want to believe that's real. Right? We want to accept that's real, and we can obtain that in our life. See, sexual temptation, what it does is it appeals to the world of fantasy. It's not reality. Those things are never realistic for the long term. Now, of course, in that moment, the desire feels right. And of course, we know that in that moment, it can feel good. But when we are tempted, I pray to God that things stop, that something stops you from giving in because of the consequences of the action. You hearing me? Because in that moment, we know the action seems right. We know the action seems good. But there are consequences to it. Because in the heat of the moment, decisions are made that can be damaging and leave lifelong effects because you didn't guard your heart. Imagine if we saw the consequences for every decision we ever made. Imagine that. And the things that it would stop you from doing. There's a story of this, this junior high school. And, and you know how there are certain trends, that, certain fads that go through schools. For instance, uh, on TikTok here just past couple years, um, there, there was, they were promoting what they called licks. And, and those licks, these kids would be doing devastating things to schools. And here these janitors and, and staff members would have to be have to be cleaning up this huge mess. I mean, anywhere from breaking toilets to stealing big, significant things in the school to just, just desecrating the school. So these things were taking place regularly. Well, this junior high in Oregon, what was happening was these girls were constantly putting on lipstick in front of the mirror and kissing the mirror. And the, the janitor's getting frustrated, and he's talking to the principal about it, and he's like, I don't know what we do to stop this because it is taking me forever to just clean off the lipstick on this mirror. And so what the principal decided to do is he's like, tell you what, I, I'm going to call in the offenders. I'm going to call them into the bathroom. And so they, they, they have this meeting of all the offenders that are doing it into the bathroom. And he brings the custodian in. And he's like, they don't understand what it takes for you to get this clean. I want you to show them what it takes for you to clean this and how long it does. And he goes, okay. And so what he does, he gets out this long-handled brush and he walks over to the toilet and he sticks the, the long-handled brush in the toilet and walks over to the mirror and starts scrubbing off the lipstick off the mirror. All those girls are standing there like with eyes wide open going, oh, no. And he's like, I have to do this every night. I pray, church, that God gives us open eyes to see the effects of the decisions we make that are against his word. I pray he does. Because we know there are consequences to unbridled lust. 
There are consequences. Let's read Proverbs chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. It says, So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray. Everyone say, never stray. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor and will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I've come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. Solomon lays it out here, and it seems pretty clear to me that there are God's consequences for giving in to sexual temptation, because what, what, what God is doing here is he's providing us this list of the ramifications if we give in. And one of the first things I noted and I saw in here, that it drains our strength. It drains our strength. The next thing and significant thing that hopefully could, could scare you out of some of these consequences is it costs us money. There is a famous reverend who will remain nameless who pays child support of 3000 a month because of one affair. According to verse 11, life can be cut short. And I want you to think about the peak of the AIDS epidemic and how there was all, and how even today there is news of STDs being spread that, that, that can cause short life as a result of promiscuity. Verse 12 and 13 mention our regrets. How many times have you thought, I should have listened. I should have listened. Yet here's the thing we know. Regrets don't erase decisions that were made. I want you to hear the, man, uh, uh, the, the words of a man named Richard who printed a story in Men's Health a few years ago. He says this, che Cheating was the worst mistake I ever made in my life. I don't know that we wouldn't have gotten a divorce, but I felt really bad that I cheated on my wife. I didn't want a divorce. I didn't even really want to be with that woman. It's just that she was telling me what I wanted to hear. It all felt fine until right after it happened. Then I felt terrible. Here's what happened. He got caught up and had this moment of indiscretion, and it cost him everything. In July of 2019, that year I became the director of Move Ministries, and I traveled to Costa Rica for a scout trip, and I booked a hotel, and I, I learned the hard way, really do your research. Don't, ju don't just book at a hotel you recognize the name of. Because what happened was we arrived there at 3 in the morning, and it was, it was so late that we just went up to bed. That next morning, we are sitting down in the, in the eating area, and we're getting ready to have breakfast, and I am just dead to the world. My eyes can barely be open because we had a long day the day before. And I look around, or, or I look up, and my construction director is just 
He's kind of nodding his head and taking inventory of the room. And I said, what? He said, look around. I started looking around, and all over the room, at every breakfast table, was about a 50 to 60-year-old male that was clearly from out of the country sitting across a woman who was in an evening dress. And I'm just like, wait, that's not legal here, right? Next thing you know, we're on our phones and we're Googling. And then I discovered I booked a hotel. These hotels are all over in the United States too. So I thought I was safe. I booked a hotel right in the prostitution district. And so conversations began to occur. I said, man, imagine, imagine that we traveled alone. Imagine that we accidentally got ourselves into this situation and we're all by ourselves. Imagine how you could so easily give in to temptation. And the effects of the decisions we make, what happens after. I could lose my wife. I could lose my kids. I could lose my ministry. My name. It might not be spoken out in clear public, but it'd be spoken about in dark corners. Because in verse 14, it mentions public humiliation. You guys know that people enjoy a good fall of somebody, right? People enjoy someone else's fall, especially those in prominent positions. They may say they hate it, but then they go around telling everybody, right? They don't keep it quiet. And here's the reality for us. The cost is great. And here's one of the greatest warnings. An unrepentant heart risks eternity. Let's go back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. I want you to listen to this. He says, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Church, I want you to hear what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is emphasizing who don't realize, he's emphasizing people who don't realize the danger that you are falling into. You have no idea the danger. And and I realize, hell, you can't see it. But church, I am telling you, Jesus, Jesus knows exactly what hell is. And he's saying, you want no part of it. And the lengths that you should go to to make sure that you are not a part of it is, I am telling you, if you need to literally cut off an arm, cut off an arm, if you need to really take your eye out, take it out, it's not worth it. Because I guarantee you, one second of hell is enough to realize that you made mistakes all your life and you don't want no part of it. And I don't mean to scare people out of hell today, but this is a reality that Jesus teaches and we need to be cognizant of it in every decision we make. And here's the other problem with sexual sin. It tells us that our life is the only one affected by it. There are so many lives affected by it, not just yours. You know, first off, there's life's consequences. 
Now here's the reality. In God's wisdom and His creation and the beauty of what He makes, life springs forth out of sex. Right? It does. It's God's miracle. It is God's blessing. And I believe life begins at conception. Listen to this. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. It says, You made me all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Church, we cannot take lightly that God's intended purpose for a sexual relationship would be two people committed to one another in a marriage covenant. That's how God orchestrated this. And I realize I haven't spoke about this yet publicly in church, and I've been looking for the right moment to do it, but I believe that those who fear God should be celebrating over the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Because, and, and, and hear me out, and I realize a lot of culture and even younger Christian culture doesn't understand this, because of the value of life. But here's the thing, if godly people celebrate something they believe to be morally right, you better be prepared to step up and produce an alternative. You better be able to produce that alternative to abortion. You should start becoming foster parents. We've got a prime example sitting four rows from the back of fostering many people. You should consider adopting. You should financially provide for single mothers. Are you guys hearing me? You should do it. You should teach men to take responsibility and be fathers. And something that we need to accept because you can say, Pastor, you were throwing darts at me this morning, but I want you to hear me out because some of you maybe have never heard any of this before. Because if God's intended purpose is followed, there are no consequences. There are no consequences. See, I understand our world does not follow God's purposes. In fact, God's purposes, it's been manipulated. Satan has deceived. And I believe that the church needs to pr produce an alternative for those who do not understand God's consequences. It's so easy for the church. It has been, I should say, easy to point fingers and just condemn. That should not be the role of the church. The role of the church is to show a godly alternative. Because here's the reality, church. God gave us a great alternative. And something I believe, sex is not a dirty word. It's not a dirty word. Listen to what Solomon teaches in Proverbs 5, 15 through 18. He says, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? 
You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. I said earlier that when I was raised in church, it was taboo to speak about. But God created sex, amen? And that was a stigma that we were to not touch. And, and it's, it's, it's too bad we didn't talk about it because I felt, I, I felt shame in the very act even when I was married, which is crazy. That wasn't God's intent. Solomon, who was declared the wisest of the Bible, has chapters written about the intimacy spent with his wife. So what Solomon does is he lists these godly alternate, this godly alternative and the boundaries to stay within. And he starts by saying, your marriage is like a well. It's like a well. And this is where you find your water daily. Don't go to someone else's well. Don't go somewhere else. You built that house. You put that well in. You draw water from that well. In that well, it refreshes your soul and it strengthens you. That's where you go. And notice that everything Solomon says reflects a positive attitude towards sexuality. And church, I'm going to say this. God did wire us this way, but with all things, he has these boundaries in place for us. We are to rejoice in the spouse of our youth. Now, some of you might have gotten married a little bit older. I got married at the age of 19. There was more I didn't know than more I did. And... Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is a backdrop for human sexuality. God created man, and from man he created woman. And God throughout scripture continually provides this context for what he emphasizes in sexuality. And in verse 19, and I, that, that's the one verse I, I thought about leaving out, but in verse 19, it borders on in our minds, in that taboo culture, being risque. But Solomon encourages us to remain passionate for our spouse. Amen. Remain passionate. And I'm not one for wanting to hear married couples say out loud their terms of endearment for each other. You know? I really don't want to go there. And he refers to his wife as a deer. And I'm like, a deer of all things. I think, I think I would have gone a different direction here. But that's the direction he chose to go. But at the time, a deer was viewed as one of the most elegant creatures on all the earth. So I was thinking, if you had that, that young, hip pastor today, or the youth pastor gets up to speak for one Sunday, he might refer to his wife as a smoking fox. In my mind, that's the same thing. Like, like they're, they're basically saying the same thing. But when he talked about his wife, he said he uses the word captivated in describing his wife, which literally means being so infatuated with her, he's intoxicated with wine over loving her. 
Church, I'm telling you, especially you married people, may we be so passionate about our spouses, amen, and desire them that no one else, no one else should matter because that's all we see. This should be cultivated throughout our marriage. And church, I am telling you that if you say, Aaron, we've been married a long time. Listen, I've been married 23 years, and we spend time still cultivating those desires for each other. We are constantly seeking to cultivate those desires. Church, godly people cultivate those desires with their spouses. You see, when you enter a marital relationship, you are making yourself open and available and vulnerable to another human being. And in fact, I believe in God's wisdom, in God's planning, the reason he wants us to do this within the confines of a marriage covenant is because when you do things that way, in God's boundaries, what happens is when you make yourself so vulnerable to another person, it saves you from being hurt. It saves you from being hurt. See, wise living finds yourself enjoying sex within that covenant of marriage. Let's talk about sex purposes real quick. Because the Roman Catholic Church, their belief is that God created sex for only one reason, procreation, making babies. And all forms of birth control they consider to be a serious sin. But the Protestant church took a different view on it. God created sex for our enjoyment. That was his purpose. In intimacy, and I'm going to say this again, in intimacy, you become the most vulnerable to that person. So God created, what he did was, in his wisdom, he created the safest possible relationship in order to protect us from being hurt. And the, I, I, I'm, I'm not absent to realizing people don't still get hurt even in the confines of that relationship. I know that. But the covenant relationship of marriage is the only covenant God expects us to uphold. You see, every other covenant in Scripture, God wanted man to be no part of. He wanted man to be no part of. He did that in every covenant, from from the Adamic covenant to the Abrahamic covenant to David to Jesus. It was done for man, but he did not have man involved because man would break the covenant. God doesn't break it. God is faithful to it. But God has us make this one covenant, the covenant of marriage. And when you have two people that are committed to each other in covenant before God, then you can trust this is the safest space for me to express myself and to be fully fully vulnerable and open. Now I'm going to say this again. This isn't to say you won't get hurt in marriage. But God created the safest space possible for it. The last portion of scripture I want to read for you today is just our reality. I want to read for you Proverbs 5, 20 through 23. He says, why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman? 
or fondle the breast of a promiscuous woman, for the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. Church, if there's anything I want you to hear today, it's this next sentence. Everything we do is observed by God. Everything we do is observed by God. Our choices have the potential for ensuring you for the rest of your life. That if you step outside of God's boundaries, you can easily destroy every relationship you have. You can risk that. And it can, it can take place through, think about it, unplanned pregnancies. Look at David. David and the great lengths that he went to to try and cover up the infidelity that he had by killing Bathsheba's husband. It can happen through sex addiction by pornography. That if you leave these things untreated, typically it only asks for more from you. It only takes you further. And next thing you know, you went a lot further than you ever intended to go. And it creates these self-destructive behaviors. It can lead to online relationships. It can lead to prostitution. It can lead you to expectations from, from your spouse that are not fair. Think about this. People have lost their careers over sex addiction. And our choices in life reflect the road that we've taken. And the further that you go down that road, the more difficult it becomes to change course. Are you guys hearing me? So the sooner you say, Satan, no more, the better off you are. Now, it's not to say that the moment you do that, next thing you know, you're down on the path exactly where you need to be. It's not to say that you're not still going to have struggles, but to, to choose on a specific day to say, I am not going to let this affect me anymore. I choose God's boundaries. God is calling us to wise up, and then next thing you know, we st start a different path than the course that we're on. And church, I am telling you that if we cling to Jesus Christ, and if we choose a repentant heart, our sin, no matter what it was, no matter what we've done, it can be forgiven. Amen? Think about Jesus' ministry for just a moment. His ministry was those who were living outside the boundaries. His ministry was those whose sexual activity was of promiscuity. But he believed in the power of the gospel and the ability for people to change. In scripture, we do find people that were engaged in every kind of sexual promiscuity. But what can be offered through the transformation of the Holy Spirit can set us on a right course and understand that God has designed these boundaries to protect you and me. And church, I'm telling you, it's, it's not that Jesus takes away the consequences for the choices we've made. But calling on him will put us back on the right path. And so church, as we end, I just want to tell you, it's not too late 
to get on the right path. It's not too late to say, I'm going to correct this behavior. Because the bottom line is, I understand God has a different purpose. And church, again, I I think it's my heart. Because I definitely want to approach this message differently. That everyone understands people are prone to mistakes. But let's not belittle it so much that we don't need repentance for it. Understand that God's grace is sufficient for me if I repent. Another thing that I I, I had this thought earlier and I never put it in my notes and I I just want to say it because I think it's so significant. You guys have heard a phrase going around that, that really affects all approaches to sex and sexual promiscuity is the phrase, well, my body, my choice. And we learn in scripture, I am not my own. I was born with a price. And understanding that when you choose Jesus Christ, you now belong to the living God. And I am not just my own. And the reality is when when I I joined in marriage covenant with my wife, I wasn't just my own to God. I also belonged to her. And so for you and I, what we need to do is we need to cry out to the living God to say, God, show me these boundaries. Help me understand your boundaries, God. And I realize our minds might not just transform overnight because this has been drilled in you time and time and time again. And you're sitting here, you might be questioning if this pastor has even lost his mind. But I'm telling you, these steps are godly. And if you just choose to seek God in this, you will find that he is good and his way is better. So I want everyone to close your eyes. And I start out by saying, I know that the stigma that has been attached to these conversations is real. And so I don't need or want a demonstrative response to an altar call. Because I know the shame that can also be involved when it comes to sexual sin. But I do know that God wants us walking in freedom. He wants us keeping his eyes on him. And if you would just say today, Pastor, God is telling me to set boundaries. He's telling me to set boundaries. He's telling me to walk in repentance. I'm just asking you to look at me so I know who I'm praying with. Praise God. Praise God. And I think what we can do is we can call on the living God who loves us and cares about us. And he sees us as nothing else but his child. Where we can say, God, please forgive me. Forgive me for what I've done. And Lord, help me set up these boundaries. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word and your truth. Lord, we love you and we know that you love us. And God, I know it is so easy, Lord, for us to be mired in shame over decisions of the past. 
But God, we know that if we go to you with a repentant heart, Lord, your son's blood covers us. Lord, you make us cleansed. And God, we can walk in freedom because of what you accomplished on that cross. And God, I know that this is just part of the first step is confessing our sin to you. But Lord, I pray that as we step outside of here, God, anytime temptation rears its ugly head, we will take the wise words of Solomon and we will run from it in Jesus' name. That God, we will recognize that you put these boundaries in place for a reason and we thank you for that, Father, and we praise you for that because God, your ways are higher and better than our ways. Lord, you show us the way we need to go and everything in us desires to do differently. But God, when we guard our heart, when we seek you out, Lord, you put us on that godly, righteous path. Lord, help us realize in the days going forward that God, there are no consequences to following your boundaries and your law. God, I pray that we live with conviction each and every day. And that, God, we understand how to turn away from fleshly desires and behaviors. But, God, at the same time, I want to pray for the marriages in this room. That, God, if there are desires that have fallen away, those will return in Jesus' name. God, that water will be drawn from our own wells and that, Lord, our eyes, our hearts are only for our spouses, Father. Lord, create a passion in our hearts for our spouses in Jesus' name. Lord, may we have thriving relationships within this church. Godly relationships. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you are doing, and we praise you, God, that you are a God that does not allow us to just live in condemnation for the rest of our lives, but we can walk in freedom because of you. I praise you and I thank you, Father, for you are good. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.